Hey everyone, it's Patrick, and today I actually have a question for you. How would you like to have your board exams paid for? Well, thanks to Physician Loans, we're going to be launching a contest soon, the grand prize. We will pay for your USMLE Step 1 or Step 2 registration fee. First through fourth year U.S. medical students are eligible, whether you've taken the exam already or not. We'll be running the contest till July 1st. The details and rules are forthcoming, but if you want to be the first to know and to get a head start, head over to InsideTheBoards.com, sign up for our email list, and you could win your USMLE exam registration fee, as well as some other cool prizes. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. All right, this is part one of hematology for the ITB Study Smarter series, or rather mini-series for the Internal Medicine Shelf Exam and the USMLE Step 2. Good morning or afternoon or evening, whatever it is for you. It's morning for us. This is the Inside the Boards podcast. I'm Patrick Beeman, your host, along with co-host Stuart Bryant. Today, we are going through some questions for the USMLE Step 2 Study Smarter series. Today, it's HEMOC. So, let's just get right into it. A 22-year-old black male is admitted following his first episode of diabetic ketoacidosis. You're consulted for anemia. The patient presented with a UTI four days ago for which he was started on Bactrim. Nursing reports that his urine is dark red ever since the insertion of a Foley catheter for close measurement of his eyes and nose. He was on Lispro and Glargine at home and has not missed any doses. Vitals show a mild elevation in temperature, blood pressure of 110 over 88, heart rate of 102, and respirations of 24. He has scleral icterus, and his palms are slightly yellow. His physical exam is otherwise normal, but has some diffuse non-focal abdominal tenderness. Hemoglobin is 10, which is down from a normal 14. His reticulocyte count is at 11%. His LDH is 11.45, which is elevated from 200. His bilirubin, or his total bilirubin, is 5. His indirect bilirubin is 4. A peripheral smear shows mostly normal cells, except for several cells that have oxidized hemoglobin remaining adherent to the erythrocyte membrane with an adjacent membrane-bound clear zone, giving them the appearance of being bitten. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? Is it A, glucose-6-phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency? G6PD. Yep, G6PD. B, hereditary serocytosis. C, sickle cell disease. Or D, anemia of acute blood loss. Hmm. What do we think here? Yeah, I really wish we had that Jeopardy, uh, like, time jingle we should (laughs) (laughs) some people might find it annoying though (laughs) we should throw it in here every once in a while that or i'm gonna start uh humming it at any rate 
Uh, let's see. This is kind of a dense question. Um, yeah, exactly. A lot of information here. Yep. And that's one of the things that often presents a challenge on the test. You know, reading through this vignette line by line, I keep thinking like, man, I hope they ask me what's the most likely cause of his <laughs> DKA. But then we get to this question becoming something rather about the hematopoietic system. So I know what the answer is here, and it's very simple memorization stuff. It's G6PD deficiency because of the bite cells. Well, at least that's that's what I'm going with. Like a clear giveaway for you. And the whole picture kind of paints itself toward that that direction, right? Mm-hmm. You have an African-American male. They're taking Bactrim. You know, now their their urine is excessively dark. They're anemic. They've got these cells. You know, nothing is really turning you away. And they're jaundiced, right? So everything's kind of leading you down that direction. Um, this is kind of nice because... What you'll see with these long vignettes is they'll give you information that won't necessarily help you rule anything out. It'll, in fact, give you something that makes you point one way or the other when you're trying to settle on these diagnoses. And this one does a good job at just leading you right down the path to G6PD. You know, for instance, if they had given you all this information and then not had the bite cells, would you have probably still picked G6PD? Are you saying if they just had excluded the, they have the yeah, appearance? no smear. Oh, so no smear? Mm-hmm. Honestly, no. I think I would have been stuck. Exactly. So you needed that, <laughs> like, pathognomonic information. And really, if you had just started with the first sentence and then read the smear, you probably could have just made the diagnosis after that. But the rest of the information just helps bolster that direction. The others are, it's hard to argue without knowing what the smear results look like. And then in reality, sometimes smear results are not, are inconclusive, right? So acute anemia, what were you saying? Why are they in DKA? You really wanted that to be? Well, cause it, it would have been super simple. Like, uh, you know, you have a patient here who, uh, it says is essentially compliant with his diabetes management. So you look for people in, in, you know, who have diabetes and things that can push them over to the edge into poor blood sugar control are things like infection. So he had a UTI, you know, that, that could have been the cause of his, his DKA, um, making it worse, even though he was compliant with his medication. So I mean, that's like way too simple, I think, uh, for for this kind of situation. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that, that that's a fair situation. You put the body under a lot of stress and then you add on an, uh, a medication that also can cause uh, hemolysis for these patients by increasing the amount of oxidative stress. And then what you get is terrible anemia and just making the patient worse, right? To focus a little more on G6PD, I guess the high-yield points to mention are, number one, it's an X-linked recessive disease, right? And there are a number of risk factors that can lead to the oxidative stress on the red blood cells 
ensuing in disease, and one of those is a number of medications like Bactrim. Trying to think if there's a a good list or a mnemonic to remember some of these, but um, basically anything that causes oxidative stress, infection, metabolic acidosis, uh, anti-malarial drugs, sulfa drugs. The rare occasion of ingestion of fava beans. Oh, yeah, fava beans. (laughs) Right, right, fava (laughs) beans. That's that's exactly what I was trying to think of. I mean, not really, but now that I remember that, uh, <laughs> one of those one of those odd facts you learn in medicine, where you know, like I don't even know if I've ever even had fava beans. Uh, you know, <laughs> have you ever asked their patient or your patient with anemia if they <laughs> had fava beans? That's no, for sure. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, other points about this? Uh, I don't know. I, I guess we can just briefly touch on hereditary spherocytosis. Uh, a lot of these hemolytic anemias, I was going to use a circumlocution, a lot of these anemias that cause the blood cells to explode, um, <laughs> a lot of hemolytic anemias are differentiated in the review books by their uh, results on peripheral smear. So nice thing about hereditary spherocytosis, which actually for the first or second time only, I had a patient the other day whose uh, medical history was positive for that. So I was like, oh, cool. Haven't, haven't heard that one in a while. You um, probably had more and just not known it. Yeah, exactly. And of course it had like no consequence on the uh, management of her labor. So more of a, uh, ah, gee whiz for me as an obstetrician, but at any rate, so, uh, nice thing about hereditary spherocytosis is that you have spherocytes on the peripheral blood smear. And I, I would say with a lot of these hemolytic anemias, it's the smear that kind of differentiates one from the other. Classic imitator of hereditary spherocytosis? Hereditary elliptocytosis. Oh, man. Oh, is that not, is that not that it? That is... That is more, that sounds like some resident level information that I don't is think not so. what we're looking for. Okay. All right. Classic, <laughs> uh, classic sure. imitator. That's, that is, that is fair. I will, I will give you that one for sure. <laughs> Those points can go to the bank. But the, the one I'm thinking of is autoimmune hemolytic anemia. Ah, right. right. In autoimmune hemolytic anemia, you've got. You also have spherocytes. You have spherocytes on the smear, right? And then if you see spherocytes on the smear and you're like, oh, that can only be hereditary spherocytosis, you probably will get that question wrong. So definitely one thing to keep in mind with the smear results, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Hereditary spherocytosis. What is the diagnostic test that you have to remember? Ooh, well, it's not very popular, but everyone seems to think that the osmotic fragility test is a, a important one after the smear, right? I included. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that not true? It's not. Well, it, it, it's not the, I, I guess for like gold standard diagnostic purposes, it is the test of choice, right? I think there are better tests out there now. Really, it's like an autosomal dominant disease, so it's popular, and it's uh, if you have a family history of it, you can kind of make the decision on whether or not they have it based on their serocytes, right? Yeah. How do you treat it? Mm. 
supportive. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know that I've ever seen much discussion surrounding its treatments in the review books, but I think you just give folic acid. Um, yeah. Iron and call it a day. Yeah, and then unless it's really severe, in which case for, you know, a lot of uh, hemolytic anemias, severe disease, you get a splenectomy, which is a nice segue to say last point on hereditary spherocytosis. Um, let's say this patient had a splenectomy. What else do we need to do? Prophylactic antibiotics for encapsulated organisms. That is, is that what true. you're thinking about? Yep, you do that for, uh, at least in kids, I know, for sure, but kids and immunocompromised people would certainly get prophylactic penicillin, as well as which prophylactic immunizations? Yeah, so all encapsulated organisms that we have vaccines for, ones that are going to come up are Haemophilus influenza, um, strep pneumo. Why am I blanking on the other one? Neisseria, like meningitis. So, yep. Um, and I, then here's a mnemonic. You know, like if you're if you're practicing in the UK, you probably work for the National Health Service. Neisseria, meningitis, H influenza, S pneumonia. Mm-hmm. You like that? I like it. All right. <laughs> All right. Do you want to move on from this one? Sure. Yeah. Um, and then we don't need to get into the rabbit hole that sickle cell is. (laughs) Yeah, not, not today. We'll get like an expert on there so that neither one of us has, (laughs) has to prepare anything. (laughs) Oh man. The number of patients I've had with sickle cell is not. Not insignificant? Not insignificant, no. Well, I mean, if you're the expert, we can, uh, we'll do that. (laughs) Maybe we'll do that for the step one study smarter series. And we will stop there with part one. Join us next time for part two. And please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This really helps us with the rankings in iTunes and will help get the word out about our resource and help us continue to keep providing you this content for free. Today's music is by DJ Bezo, a.k.a. Augustine Beeman. The song is King Jeff and his apprentice Bart. We'll be featuring more from this young emerging artist who also happens to be my son. I'm just really proud of the creative work he's doing and wanted to support him in his endeavors. So thank you, Augustine. We'll look forward to more of your art which we'd be happy to feature on the ITB podcast.